Part eight of a journal of impressions in Belgium by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part eight. Saturday the third. Mr. L asked me to breakfast. He has told me more about the corps in five minutes than the corps has been able to tell me in as many days. He has seen it at Elost and Termond. You gather that he has seen other heroic enterprises also, and that he would perjure himself if he swore that they were indispensable. Every correspondent is besieged by the leaders of heroic enterprises, and I imagine that Mr. L. has been had before now by amateurs of the Red Cross, and his heart must have sunk when he heard of an English field ambulance in Ghent, and he owns to positive terror when he saw it, with its girls in breeches, its commandant in Norfolk jacket, grey knickerbockers, heather mixture stockings, and deerstalker, its chaplain in khaki, and its surgeon a mark for bullets in his Belgian officer's cap. I suggest that this absence of uniform only proves our passionate eagerness to be off and get to work. But it is right. Our ambulance is the real thing, and Mr. L. is going to be an angel and help it all he can. He will write about it in the illustrated London news on the Westminster when he hears that i came out here to write about the war and make a little money for the field ambulance and that i haven't seen anything of the war and that my invasion of his hotel is simply a last despairing effort to at last hear something he is more angelic than ever he causes a whole cinema of war scenes to pass before my eyes when i ask if there is anything left for me to do he evokes a long procession of articles pure virgin copy on which no journalist has ever laid his hands and assures me that it is mine that the things that have been done are nothing to the things that are left to do i tell him that i have no business on his pitch and that i am horribly afraid of getting in the regular correspondent's way and spoiling their game as i am likely to play it there isn't any pitch of course i suppose there is the scoop but that's another matter it is the war correspondent's crown of cunning and of valour and nobody can take from him that crown. But in the psychology of the thing, every correspondent is his own pitch. He has told me very nearly all the things I want to know, among them what the Belgian general said to the commandant when he saw Ursula Dirmer at Alost. What the devil is the lady doing there? I gather that Mr. L. shares the general's wonder and my own anxiety. I am not far wrong in regarding Alost and Termon, as no fit place for Ursula Dearmer or any other woman. Answered the commandant's letters for him. Wrote to Ezra Pound. Wrote out the report for the last three days' ambulance work and sent it to the British Red Cross. Also a letter to Mr. Rogers about a light scouting car. The British Red Cross has written that it cannot spare any more motor ambulances, but it may possibly send out a small car. The commandant has cabled to Mr. Gould, of Gould Brothers Exeter, accepting his offer of his own car and services. Went down to the Flandria for news of the ambulance. The car that was sent out yesterday evening got through all right to Antwerp and returned safely. It has brought very bad news. Two of the outer forts are said to have fallen. The position is critical, and grave anxiety is felt for the safety of the English in Antwerp. Mrs. St. Clair Stobard has asked us for one of our ambulances but even if we could spare it we cannot give it up without an order from the military authority at ghent we hear that dr 
one of mrs stobart's women is to leave antwerp and work at our hospital she is engaged to be married to dr and the poor boy is somewhat concerned for her safety i am very glad i have left the flandrea for she can have my room i wish they would make miss blank come away too yes miss blank that clever novelist who passes for a woman of the world because she uses mundane appearances to hide herself from the world's importunity miss blank is here the war caught her some people were surprised i wasn't footnote one nobody need have been surprised she had distinguished herself in other wars walked through the town again old quarter walked and walked and walked thinking about antwerp all the time through streets of grey-white and lavender-tinted houses with very fragile balconies saw the two cathedrals in the town hall refugees swarming round it and the rab i can't remember its name see Bedeker, with its turrets and its moat any amount of time to see cathedrals in and no mrs torrance to protest i wonder how much of all this will be left by next month or even by next week two of the antwerp forts have fallen they say the occupation of ghent will be peaceful while of antwerp i suppose they would say c'est triste n'est-ce pas they say the germans will just march into ghent and march out again commandeering a few things here and there but nobody knows and by the stolid faces of these civilians you might imagine that nobody cares certainly none of them think that the fate of antwerp can be the fate of ghent and the faces of the soldiers of the men who know they are the faces of important people cheerful people pleasantly preoccupied with the business at hand only here and there a grave face a fixed drawn face a face twisted with the irritation of the strain why the very refugees have the look of a rather tired tourist party wandering about seeing ghent seeing the cathedral only they aren't looking at the cathedral they are looking straight ahead across the place up the street they do not see or hear the trams swinging down on them or the tearing snorting motors they stroll abstractedly into the line of the motors and stand there they start and scatter wild-eyed with a sudden recrudescence of the terror that has driven them here from their villages in the fields it seems incredible that i should be free to walk about like this it is as if i had cut the rope that tied me to a soaring air balloon and found myself with firm feet safe on the solid earth any bit of earth even surrounded by germans seems safe compared with the asphyxiation of that ascent and when the air balloon wasn't going up it was as if i had lain stifling under a soft feather bed for more than a year now i've waked up suddenly and flung the feather bed off with a vigorous kick sunday the fourth footnote one i am puzzled about this date it stands in my ambulance day-book as saturday the third with a note that the british came into ghent on their way to antwerp on the evening of that day now i believe that there were no british in antwerp before the evening of sunday the fourth yet dr wilson and mr davidson going into st nicholas before us saw the british there and mrs torrance and janet mcneil saw more british come into ghent in the evening i was ill with fever the day after the run into antwerp and got behindhand with my day-book so it seems safest to assume that i made a wrong entry and that we went into antwerp on sunday and to record saturday's events as spreading over the whole day similarly the events that the day-book attributes to monday must have belonged to tuesday and if tuesday's events were really wednesday's 
that clears up a painful doubt i had as to wednesday which came into my day-book as an empty extra which i couldn't account for in any way there i was with the day left over and nothing to put into it and yet wednesday the seventh was the first day of the real siege of antwerp on thursday the eighth i started clear End of footnote one. i have no clear recollection of sunday morning because in the afternoon we went to antwerp and antwerp has blotted out everything that went near before it the ambulance has been ordered to take two belgian professors or else they are doctors into antwerp there isn't any question this time of carrying wounded it seems incredible but i am going too i shall see the siege of antwerp and hear the guns that were brought up from namur somewhere on the northwest horizon a vision heavenly but impalpable aerial indistinct of the greatest possible danger i am glad i am going but the odd thing is that there is no excitement about it it seems as entirely fit and natural thing that the vision should materialize that i should see the shells battering the forts of antwerp and hear the big siege guns from namur for all its incredibility the adventure lacks every element of surprise it is simply what i came out for for here in belgium the really incredible things are the things that existed and happened before the war they existed and happened a hundred years ago and the memory of them is indistinct the feeling of them is gone you have ceased to have any personal interest in them if they happened at all they happened to somebody else what is happening now has been happening always all your past is soaking in the vivid dye of these days and what you are now you have always been i have been a war correspondent all my life blasé with battles the commandant orders me into the front seat beside the chauffeur tom so that i may see things even tom's face cannot shake me in my conviction that i am merely setting out once more on my usual legitimate daily job it is all so natural that you do not wonder in the least at this really very singular extension of your personality you are not aware of your personality at all if you could be you would see it undergoing shrinkage it is anyhow one of the things that ceased to matter a hundred years ago if you could examine its contents at this moment you would find nothing there but that shining vision of danger the siege of antwerp indistinct impalpable aerial presently the vision itself shrinks and disappears on the northwest horizon the car has shot between the streets into the open road the great paved highway to antwerp and i am absorbed in other matters in car one and in the chauffeur tom who is letting her rip more and more into her top speed with every mile in monsieur c the belgian red cross guide beside me on my left and in the belgian soldier sitting on the floor at his feet the soldier is confiding some fearful secret to monsieur c about somebody called achille monsieur c bends very low to catch the name as if he were trying to intercept and conceal it and when he has caught it he assumes an air of superb mystery and gravity and importance with one gesture he buries the name of achille in his breast under his uniform you know that he would die rather than betray the secret of achille you decide that achille is the heroic bearer of dispatches and that we have secret orders to pick him up somewhere and convey him in safety to antwerp you do not grasp the meaning of this pantomime until the third century has approached us and monsieur c has stopped for the third time to whisper achille behind the cover of his hand and the third century is instantly appeased 
Concerning sentries, you learn that the Belgian kind is amiable, but that the French sentry is a terrible fellow who will think nothing of shooting you if your car doesn't stop dead the instant he levels his rifle. Except for sentries and straggling troops and the long trains of refugees, the country is as peaceful between Ghent and St. Nicholas as it was last week between Ostend and Ghent. It is the same adorable Flemish country, the same flat fields, the same paved causeway and the same tall slender avenues of trees. But if anything could make the desolation of Belgium more desolate, it is this intolerable beauty of slender trees and infinite flat land, the beauty of a country formed for the very expression of peace. In the vivid gold and green of its autumn, it has become a stage dressed with ironic splendor for the spectacle of a people in flight. Half the population of Antwerp and the country round it is pouring into Ghent. Footnote. It wasn't. This was only the first slender trickling. The flood came three days later with the bombardment of the city. First the automobiles, Belgian officers in uniform, packed tight between women and children and their bundles, convoying the train. Then the carriages secured by the bourgeois, they are very few. Then men and boys on bicycles, then the carts, and with the coming on of the carts the spectacle grows, incredible, fantastic. You see a thing advancing like a house on wheels. It is a tall hay wagon, the tallest wagon you have ever seen in your life, piled with household furniture and mattresses on the top of the furniture. And on top of the mattresses, on the roof, as it were, a family of women and children and young girls. Some of them seem conscious of the stupendous absurdity of this appearance. They smile at you or laugh as the structure goes towering and toppling by next low on the ground enormous and grotesque bundles endowed with movement and with legs only when you come up to them do you see that they are borne on the bowed backs of men and women and children the children when there are no bundles to be borne these carry a bird in a cage or a dog a dog that sits in their arms like a baby and is pressed tight to their breasts here and there men and women driving their cattle before them driving them gently without haste with a great dignity and patience. These, for all the panic and ruin in their bearing, might be pilgrims or suppliants, or the servants of some religious rite, bringing the votive offerings and the sacrificial beasts. The infinite land and the avenues of slender trees persuade you that it is so. And wherever the ambulance cars go, they meet endless processions of refugees. Endless, for the straight, flat Flemish roads are endless and as far as your eye can see the stream of people is unbroken endless because the misery of belgium is endless the mind cannot grasp it or take it in you cannot meet it with grief hardly with conscious pity you have no tears for it it is a sorrow that transcends everything you have known of sorrow these people have been left only their eyes to weep with but they do not weep any more than you do they have no tears for themselves or for each other footnote one of all the thousands and thousands of refugees whom i have seen i have only seen three weep and they were three out of six hundred who had just disembarked at the prince of wales pier in dover but in belgium not one tear this is the terrible thing this and the manner of their flight it is not flight it is the vast unhasting and unending movement of a people crushed down by grief and weariness pushed on by its own weight, 
by the ceaseless impact of its ruin this stream is the main stream from antwerp swollen by its tributaries it doesn't seem to matter where it comes from its strength and volume always seem the same after the siege of antwerp it will thicken and flow from some other direction that is all and all the streams seem to flow into ghent and to meet in the palais de fete footnote two this is all wrong the main stream went as straight as it could for the seacoast holland or ostend i forget whether it was near lokeren or st nicholas that we saw the first sign of fighting in houses levelled to the ground to make way for the artillery fire levelled and raked into neat plots without the semblance of a sight after the refugees the troops village streets crowded with military automobiles and trains of baggage wagons and regiments of infantry little villas with desolate surprised and innocent faces standing back in their gardens soldiers sitting in their porches and verandas soldiers faces looking out of their windows soldiers are quartered in every room and the grass grows high in their gardens soldiers run down the garden paths to look at our ambulance as it goes by there is excitement in the village streets at st nicholas we overtake dr wilson and mr davidson walking into antwerp they tell us the news the british troops have come at last they have been through before us on their way to antwerp dr wilson and mr davidson have seen the british troops they have talked to them mr davidson cannot conceal his glee at getting in before the war correspondence pure luck has given into his hands the great journalistic scoop of the war in belgium and he is not a journalist he is a sculptor out for the busts of warriors and for actuality in those tragic and splendid figures that are grouped round memorial columns for the living attitude and gesture we take up mr davidson and dr wilson and leave one of our professors if he is a professor at st nicholas for the poor man has come without his passport he will have to hang about at st nicholas doing nothing until such time as it pleases heaven to send us back from antwerp he resigns himself and we abandon him a piteous figure wrapped in a brown shawl after st nicholas more troops a few batteries of artillery some infantry long long regiments of belgian cavalry coming to the defence of the country outside antwerp cavalry halting at a fork of the road by a little fir wood a road that is rather like the road just outside wareham as you go towards pool more troops and after the troops an interminable procession of labourers trudging on foot at a distance you take them for refugees until you see that they are carrying poles and spades presently the road cuts through the circle of stakes and barbed wire entanglements set for the german cavalry and somewhere on our left whether before or after st nicholas i cannot remember across a field the rail embankment runs parallel with our field and we saw the long ambulance train flying the red cross and loaded with wounded on its way from antwerp to ghent at this point the line is exposed conspicuously and we must have been well within range of the german fire for the next ambulance train but we didn't know about the next ambulance train till afterwards after the circle of the stakes and wire entanglements you begin to think of the bombardment you strain your ears for the sound of the siege guns from namur somewhere ahead of us on the horizon there is antwerp towers and tall chimneys in a very grey distance every minute you look for the flight of the shells across the grey and the fall of a tower or a chimney 
but the grey is utterly peaceful and the towers and the tall chimneys remain and at last you turn in a righteous indignation and say where is the bombardment the bombardment is at the outer forts and where are the forts then you see no forts the outer forts oh the outer forts are thirty kilometres away no not there to your right and you who thought you would have died rather than see the siege of antwerp are dumb with disgust your heart swells with a holy and incorruptible resentment of the sheer levity of the commandant a pretty thing to bring a war correspondent out to see a bombardment when there isn't any bombardment or when all there ever was is a hundred well then thirty kilometres away it was twilight as we came into antwerp we approached it by the west by the way of the sea by the great bridge of boats over the scheldt the sea and the dikes are the defence of antwerp on this side whole regiments of troops are crossing the bridge of boats our car crawls by inches at a time it is jammed tight among some baggage wagons it disentangles itself with difficulty from the baggage wagons and is wedged tighter still among the troops but the troops are moving though by inches at a time we get our front wheels on to the bridge packed in among the troops but moving steadily as they move we cross the scheldt on our right the sharp bows and on our left the blunt sterns of the boats boat after boat pressed close gunwale to gunwale our roadway goes across their breasts their breasts are taut as the breasts of gymnasts under the tramping of the regiments they vibrate like the breasts of living things as they bear us up no heaving of any beautiful and beloved ship no crossing of any sea no sight of any city that has the sea at her feet not new york city nor venice no coming into any foreign land ever thrilled me as that coming into antwerp with the belgian army over that bridge of boats at twilight from the river with its lamps lit and all its waters shining antwerp looked beautiful as venice and as safe and still for the dikes are her defences on this side but for the trudging regiments you would not have guessed that on the land side the outer ramparts were being shelled incessantly it was a struggle up the slope from the river bank to the quay a struggle in which we engaged with commissariat and ammunition wagons and troops and refugees in carts all trying to get away from the city over the bridge of boats the ascent was so steep and slippery that you felt as though at any moment the car might hurl itself down backwards on the top of the procession struggling behind it end of part eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine